Well, I want to thank you all for the opportunity to share a few words this morning. I'm thrilled and I'm terrified, and I think that seems about right. I'm here to tell a story, not to give a sermon. Now, they asked me for a title, and I gave them God's Abiding Love, A Traveler's Tale, since that sounded biblical. But to me, it's really the story of a mama bear and her cub ambling through an experience called life. I'm sure you can guess that the mama bear in my story is God and the Holy Spirit. And I hope that doesn't offend anyone, but when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2020, I desperately needed a God who didn't frighten me. I leaned into the feminine side of God. I was fighting breast cancer, after all, and the image of a fierce mama bear came to my mind. If I was her cub, I had nothing to fear, and that gave me some comfort. I think it's worth spending a minute or two about why on earth I'm doing this at all this morning. <laughs> I've known early on that God had given me a gift with words, writing them, speaking them, reading them, and that gift served me well, both as a lawyer for almost 40 years and later as an elected official and, and a mayor of Agora Hills. I spoke before judges and juries at town halls and city gatherings, often in front of people I barely knew. But in those venues, I was always talking about my clients' stories or about my town and its residents. This is one of the first times I'm telling my own story. Perhaps that's why I feel a little more weak in the knees this morning in front of a microphone. You might remember some of you last June when Reverend Mary Dennis gave the sermon when Pastor Walt was away. She told us her story of coming to and growing in the faith, of her journey from Catholicism of her youth to becoming a Methodist minister. She challenged us to share our stories as well. She called it putting our faith into action. Now, I'd been talking to God over the last few years of my ungraceful entry into retirement, asking, what's next? Where do you need me now? Be careful what you ask for, especially when dealing with a mama bear. The last time she and I had such a discussion, I was led to law school, kicking and screaming. I hated it. But it was the perfect career for someone with my talents. This time, as the nudge pushed me gently but firmly toward this podium, I decided to try to head in the direction noted with just a, what, a tad bit more grace. So here I am, and here we are. So let me take a minute or two, well, actually more than that, but to, I want to tell you how it started for me and how it's going. I came to God early, or I should probably say more accurately, God came to me. It wasn't an outwardly dramatic experience like Paul's, but it was one that I have never forgotten. I was raised in the church, mostly Southern Baptist, like my mom. The preachers were mostly about hellfire and brimstone and preached a cranky and impatient God ready to condemn every misstep and failure. My parents during that time were not regular churchgoers, but my, sisters, my sister and I were dropped off every Sunday, just another day of school for us. In the midst of one of those fiery and often scary sermons, I remember looking at the light streaming through the stained glass window, and in that moment, with the light, came a love like nothing I'd ever known, not even from my parents. It felt like an invitation to step in and snuggle. My heart was full, 
and my soul went running toward Jesus and the light. Now, I'd like to say it's all been sweetness and kumbaya in my faith journey since then, but the world is not like that for some of us, and it wasn't that way for me. But that vision of my youth became a north star that I could steer toward when the going got rough, and there were definitely some very bumpy roads ahead. Now, I was blessed with a busy brain, and once I knew about Jesus and salvation, I became very concerned about existential questions, like what happens to people who never hear the good news, or what about babies who can't even understand English? I was generally way more concerned than most 12-year-olds with reconciling a loving God with the wrath that I felt came from the pulpit. So I went to the pastor with some of my questions. It did not go well. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what he said, but I left his office. I had gone there by myself. thinking I left his office thinking that salvation was somehow conditional and that mine was in doubt. That God's love depended on having a much blinder faith than I possessed, one that didn't ask tough questions or have doubts. Now, I struggled with anxiety as a child, and I had my first full-on panic attack shortly after that meeting as I wrestled with what I thought was an impossible requirement to keep in God's good graces. Sleep became difficult as I started having night terrors and nightmares about demons and monsters chasing me to hell. Mom and Dad were very young. They were 20 and 21 when I was born, and they were puzzled and confused. Told me, don't worry so much. But this wasn't the deep theological discussion that my little busy brain was craving. Now, I never told them what the pastor said because I was scared to death they'd agree. I didn't want them condemning me, too, so I'm a problem solver, and I gathered a stack of comic books, kept the flashlight under my bed, and when the monsters haunted my dreams, I just stayed up and read about superheroes who conquered every foe. I stayed away from the Bible and hymns, except when I was forced to deal with them on Sunday, since they tended to stir up the night terrors that I so desperately wanted to avoid. But I loved music. And Simon and Garfunkel somehow didn't frighten me. I listened to Bridge Over Troubled Waters over and over when my anxiety reached its peak. And I want to just read you a couple of those lyrics. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side. When times get rough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled waters, I will lay me down. When evening falls so hard, I will comfort you. I'll take your part. When darkness comes and pain is all around, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. That song always soothed my soul, and it still does. But only in hindsight do I see that this was Mama Bear's lullaby, written just for me. Now, the positive side of my busy brain was that I loved school and learning. I read voraciously. And as soon as I could write, I started keeping a journal 
where the darkness that sometimes threatened to overwhelm me could find an outlet on my page. I had grandparents that were in my life and provided a sense of stability and a little taste of unconditional love that comforted me in ways that my parents were not able to. As I look back now, I can see how all of these things were part of a loving light that kept me going through what was often an emotionally turbulent childhood. Now, even though I went to church, I never really had a long-term church family because my dad got transferred every couple of years, and we were off to a different neighborhood, a different school, and a different church. There was no internet back then, so when I said to goodbye to my friends, it was permanent. Once I got to high school, I made sure I signed up for activities that fell on Sundays as much as possible. While I still kind of wanted to be connected to God, I wasn't so sure I needed or wanted to be connected to church, which had always been a source of doubt and fear. When I was sexually assaulted as a teenager by a much older man, I told no one. I was embarrassed. I was scared that I would be blamed. Toxic guilt and a sense of deep unworthiness had a hold on me. Things at home got worse as I struggled to deal with my emotions, and my parents struggled to deal with me. Family therapy wasn't an option, but it probably would have helped. As soon as I graduated from high school, I moved away to college, away from my parents and away from having to go to church. I'm sure I left skid marks in my hurry to get out of there. <laughs> I'd like to say that I still wanted to be close to God, but that wasn't really true. Now, I still believed in everything I always had, in Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, but I just wasn't in the mood to do anything about it. I think I was more emotionally tired than anything else. Life had been a battle up to that point, with so much outside my control, including where I lived, and now it was time to take control and have some fun. Now, for some, that would have been a lot of debauchery, drinking, and sexual exploration. For me, it was skipping church on Sunday and going to football games. Tommy's runs at 3 a.m. just because I could. Getting my FCC license and becoming a DJ at the campus radio station. I did love music. Becoming a resident assistant in charge of one of the toughest floors in the dorms. Taking extra classes so I could graduate early and writing a 60-page honors thesis for extra credit in English. Yes, I went wild. <laughs> but I prayed before every final and most nights before I went to sleep. And as I look back, I can see that even though I'd kind of given up on God and certainly on the church, at important points where big decisions needed to be made, a quiet voice would speak gently and softly, even lovingly moving me in a direction away from harm or towards something good. Interestingly, as I look back, God had apparently not given up on me. Now, I always tell people not to put God to the test or you might end up a lawyer. One of those quiet voice moments put me on a path that found me in law school in San Francisco. When I saw the flyer for the Christian Legal Society, I decided to go to a meeting. I remember thinking there would likely, likely be other people with busy brains, and since my law school was 50% women, there'd probably be other women who sought meaning in life beyond being a wife and mother, as my upbringing had taught me was the primary focus. Now, the people in this group were warm, friendly, and frighteningly smart. I not only started attending meetings, I started going to a small home church led by a guy named Billy, who was a postdoc researcher at UCSF. 
I'm convinced that Mama Bear led me to this little church because she knew what was ahead. I always knew that law school would be tough, but the challenges that would confront me had little to do with academics. Over the first two years in San Francisco, I was caught in the riots that followed the assassinations of George Moscone and Harvey Milk. A friend of my family was killed in a horrific plane crash out of Chicago O'Hare, with every millisecond of the plane coming down captured in gruesome detail on an amateur video. For over a decade, I could not get on a plane without having a panic attack. One sunny afternoon as I was headed to my bus stop from school, a sniper started shooting from a high-rise building. I heard bullets ricocheting off the concrete around me as I desperately ran for cover. He was a troubled Vietnam vet who, fortunately for all of us, was not looking for mass murder, which was still a rarity back in the 70s. He was just seeking attention and committed suicide in his cell the day after the rampage ended. But all of this battered a fragile psyche, and it didn't help when my very conservative Christian boyfriend broke up with me after I refused to commit to giving up my career after we were married and started a family. I tried to keep looking for the light, but the anxiety and panic bubbled to the surface. I didn't share most of this with my little church family since I so desperately wanted to be acceptable to them and to God. I still thought that true Christians shouldn't have the doubts or fear that had plagued me most of my life. Now my thin rope of sanity, to which I was desperately clinging, finally snapped the night a medical student who had taken me on a date to a concert decided that he wanted a lot more than a good night kiss after inviting me home for a glass of wine. I ended up on the street with torn clothes, only barely able to avoid being raped. I went back to my flat and shut down completely. I sank deeper and deeper into depression, stopped eating, and barely left my room. Music didn't work anymore, reading was impossible, and prayer out of the question. I was lost. It was the first and only time that I seriously contemplated ending this life and just facing whatever came next. It wasn't that God wasn't there, just that I was a lost cause. I had failed utterly to live up to the minimum standards for Mama Bear's love. Yep, that was the lie I was tempted to believe. I still thought God's love was conditioned on something I couldn't really understand, let alone live up to. Well, Mama Bear wasn't having it, not on her watch. One day, Pastor Billy showed up at my door, walked in, and like a good Mama Bear does with a cub who's in mortal danger, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and moved me into a house with some of my church friends. I'm guessing he got a clue when I stopped going to church. They made sure I was fed, that I was never alone, and passed no judgment. He gently encouraged me to see a psychologist rather than haranguing me to simply pray more, and I finally gave in and started seeing one. Now, why on earth did all these horrible things pile on me in such a short time? I don't know. And as I sit here now, I don't need the answer to that question. One thing I can tell you is that I don't believe God caused them or allowed them for some divine purpose. I have the same belief about my breast cancer diagnosis. As I see it, bad things happen in a broken world. Now more than ever, we unfortunately see that every single day. God gave us all free will and the ability to make choices, some good and some bad. And some folks make choices that affect others very badly, choices completely devoid of empathy, love, and compassion. 
The difference for those of us who love God is encapsulated for me in Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. I don't believe a mama bear makes bad things happen. But by golly, if we ask, and sometimes even if we don't, she can handle them. Well, I came back to Los Angeles and joined a more corporate church, missing the little home church that I felt had literally saved my life. Now, in this church, which had a conservative bent, women were not allowed to speak in church, to pray in church, heaven forbid, being at the pulpit. And uh, we got a new pastor, and he asked me to serve communion. I was thrilled. We were looking forward to more opportunities for the many smart and talented women. What I didn't know is that he hadn't cleared this with the all-male church council because it didn't occur to him that this would be a problem. It was a problem. It was a big problem. Now, I had experienced some of the best a family of faith can offer in San Francisco. I was about to experience some of the worst. The debate about a woman's place in the church and in the home was often rancorous, sometimes a lot less than loving, and I somehow found myself in the middle of it all. I tried my best to understand the arguments against the broader participation of women. That's what I did as a lawyer, understand all sides of an argument. I sat with my pastor for weeks of Sundays, learning to read the New Testament in the original Greek so I could better understand the passages that were cited against me. I put together a Bible study about strong and faithful women to help us have a scripture-based discussion. I taught it in this church last month, only to be told by the elders one of whom was my father, who had had a religious conversion by then, that it was not appropriate for women to teach such a study, especially not to men. Now, I had done some work on my inner trauma, but I still feared that God was going to find me out to, complete, to be a complete imposter. This entire episode hurt me deeply and opened up no old wounds because no one can hurt you like family can hurt you. Early teachings sometimes leave deep marks. So instead of church shopping for a better fit, I just left. I threw myself into work and causes I believed in, but for the next decade or so, I only visited churches from time to time. I never joined, never stayed for more than a few months. I considered myself a Christian, believed in Jesus, and I still prayed from time to time. And mostly I was all right. If anyone asked, I'd have told them I was blessed. I finally had a happy marriage, a wonderful daughter, a career I loved, and work on the city council that was very fulfilling. But was I spiritually ready for a raging storm? Nope. Little did I know I was about to find out how perilous it can be to travel alone when the storms of life come howling. A mammogram result in July 2020 brought my world crashing down and destroyed all my carefully erected emotional walls. I wasn't ready to die. But it wasn't because I was afraid of hell. To my surprise, this time it was because I'd finally begun to enjoy my life. I was deeply grateful to God for all my many blessings. At the same time, I was literally in the valley of the shadow of death, and I was finding no comfort in God. I was back in the grip of fear and anxiety, knowing that somehow this cancer was all my fault. It was a horrible place to start facing the fight of my life during a global pandemic. 
Now, I had been facing outward for a long, long time, giving of myself until it hurt. I was drained and tired, and although I had a loving husband, family, sisters, the void inside of me in those moments of uncertainty and doubt seemed a darkness with no end. The notion that this, like other bad things before, was punishment for everything I had done wrong in a long and not always holy life was more than just a whisper, and all of my demons came back to dance with me in the dark. This time, I had no family of faith, just me, myself, and I, and a God before whom I cowered in fear. In that dark time, as I sobbed in my husband's arms, I remembered an afternoon almost a year earlier. A friend of mine was having a party that I almost didn't attend. I ended up sitting next to Walter Dilge, the new pastor of a Methodist church that I had visited once or twice. When the conversation turned to church, that is, did I attend one, I was honest about my wandering and to my surprise felt no judgment from the other side of the conversation, just heartfelt encouragement to give God some more of my time and to give God's family another chance. That memory felt like a nudge from a furry paw to me and I reached out to a friend to get the number for Pastor Walt. Now, I have no idea what Walt thought when this random woman called with whom he had had a very short conversation over a year before, crying and in desperate pain. But to no one's surprise here, I'm sure, he took it all in stride. He was calm and reassuring and kept encouraging me to seek peace in the Lord. I'm sure I was testy with him at times in our conversation because that was the thing that I had grappled with all my life with only limited success. But his words got me to turn what tiny little piece of my heart I could toward the idea of a loving God, the hope that this was true, the possibility that I was deeply loved by the great creator of everything. Now, I'm going to get just a tiny bit preachy, and I know it's going on a little long, but hang in there with me. Psalm 23 reminds us that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Deuteronomy 31.8 tells us the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. These verses, along with the ones Andrew read earlier, don't contain conditional language. There's no as long as or only if you in any of them. It took me a very long time to finally understand this in a way that was meaningful for my life. It took my journey with breast cancer to break me open enough to finally receive this wonderful news. As I went through aggressive chemotherapy, a bilateral mastectomy, more chemo and more surgery, I kept taking baby steps toward the light and love I had seen as a child. I had no idea I would ever get breast cancer. And as I said before, I don't believe God caused it or allowed it. I do believe God knew from the day I was born that there was a path for my life that involved breast cancer. And God had 64 years to get everything ready to develop a plan for my good, even during a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God took care of me during my breast cancer journey and showered love at every step of the way, through amazing healthcare professionals, through colleagues and friends. I even had a spontaneous prayer circle 
with my surgeon and the nurses when my mastectomy was delayed for five hours during a COVID surge. I found peace at a time that I thought would be the worst time of my life. And last, but certainly not least, God brought me back to a family of faith to enfold me in their love and care as I went through this difficult journey and came out the other side. Dave and I started attending services here online during my treatment, and each week I felt lighter as I listened to music and began hearing words of scripture with a broken and softer heart toward others, but more importantly, toward myself. I am broken. I have scars, both real and emotional, but I'm broken in the best sort of way. I'm reminded of a Leonard Cohen song, Ring the Bells That Still Can Ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Now, my soft inner core shows itself through the cracks more often than I'm completely comfortable with, but I find almost always that it allows me to receive love, support, and comfort. I've come to believe that all Mama Bear ever wants to do is enfold us to protect us and fill us with love and light. In our recent women's retreat, we centered on Jesus' words, Come unto me, ye who are heavy laden. My yoke is easy, my burden light. And yet we live in a world where not all is love and light. Right now, we're being made aware of that more than in a very long time. Where is Mama Bear in all of this darkness, chaos, and death? I believe she's before me and behind me every step of the way. So what is required of me? As much belief as I can muster and a willingness, no matter how small, to let her in. Faith, as small as a grain of mustard seed, is enough. I'm enough. We're all enough just as we are. Now make no mistake, I still doubt often, and I still struggle with anxiety. Cancer will do that to you. Life will do that to you. When those times come, I want to share an image I bring to mind that gives me comfort as I close. One night I was babysitting my, my little niece, Shane. She was four and would sometimes freak out when mom was gone too long. This night was particularly tough, and I was cleaning up after dinner. She looked at me with tears flowing, bent, all, bent over and lost her dinner all over the floor, crying for her mom. It didn't occur to me for one second to chastise her for her unfounded fears, for messing up the kitchen floor. I wasn't offended that she didn't think she was safe with me. Instead, my heart flew open as I scooped her up cuddled her in a big chair, stroked her hair and sang lullabies to her until her mama got home. I am God's beloved child. And since Mama Bear loves me infinitely more fiercely than I love that little girl, I'm beginning to understand finally in a way that I never have before that there is a place for me in God's loving embrace, that I have a birthright that can never be taken away that despite some nasty lies I fell for early in my life, nothing can actually separate me from the love of God. It's always there if I just turn my face toward the light and ask.
And if I ever forget, or a storm comes howling through, this time, I'm not traveling alone. Mama Bear has given me all of you to remind me who I am. Amen.